Dear Doctor Who Podcast, this is Trevor from Brisbane. Why aren't you doing any feedback episodes? It's about time you did a feedback episode and had all the wonderful feedback from your listeners. Yours sincerely, Trev from Brisbane. This is Stefan from Hamburg, Germany. This is the Doctor Who Podcast and you are herzlich eingeladen. been saying the same thing for weeks now. When are we going to have a feedback episode? When are we going to have a feedback episode? I love these. In fact, it occurred to me as, as we were preparing for this that I think I'm looking forward more to hearing what the listeners have to say about these episodes than maybe the <laughs> broadcast of the episodes this time around. I think it's very true this time, specifically with this feedback we've received for the uh, first four episodes of this latest part of the uh, Doctor Who season, season 7B or part two of season seven or the 2013 episodes, whatever you want to call it. We've received some really, really interesting feedback and, and I'm just dying to get into it and uh, share it with you all. Well, the feedback has been piling in, and uh, as you say, we're going to address feedback for the first four episodes of Season 7B. As we record here, that gets us through Hyde, and I, I just noticed just before we started recording, there's yet more feedback that has come in. So uh, if you have sent us feedback recently, and if you have sent us feedback about uh, Journey to the Center of the TARDIS, which airs after we're recording this, don't worry, there will be another feedback episode down the road. But uh, for now, maybe we should tackle these first four episodes before we get any further behind. Indeed, we should. Dive headfirst. <laughs> All right, well, our first bit of feedback, and I just should mention every bit of feedback in this episode is audio feedback, and we must thank you very, very much for that. Uh, keep it rolling in. We love audio feedback. It's always great to hear your voices. Our first feedback is from Andrew, and uh, he kicks off our uh, feedback on the Bells of St. John. Hello, Doctor Who podcasters. Uh, it's Andrew Backhouse here, uh, back again reviewing this episode, The Bells of St. John. I mean, for James Bond had Skyfall for the 50th, and now we get The Bells of St. John. Uh, the great intelligence back. So good to see that genius idea finally being fully exploited in the new series. And um, I think my favourite bit was where um, Clara used the webcams to figure out where they were. And just the, the looks on the extras' faces when they, they realised, oh no, we've just, uh, we've just revealed where we are on our Twitter pages, which I think was really clever of Stephen Moffat. Any lesser writer would take these ideas in The Bells of St. John and dilute it across a, a TV series of its own. But Stephen Moffat crams all these twists, all these ideas into 45 minutes of concentrated uh, entertainment and that's what's that's what's so good about Doctor Who. So excluding the incredible Asylum of the Daleks this has got to be my favorite series opener for Doctor Who. Well thank you for that Andrew. I like the idea that you highlighted the use of technology in this. That was one of my favorite parts of Bells of St. John was uh, how relevant it was to our daily lives and and uh, I, I picked up on that too and really loved it. What did you think Trev? I did. I, I mean I, I think it was a really interesting idea to have, you know, basically the internet and Wi-Fi as, you know, the main villain, you know, the main monster of this story. Stephen Moffat has a great skill 
in pulling out scary things from ordinary things. He's been doing that for years, and I think uh, you know the uh, big bad in Bells of St John is no different to any of the other scary things from mundane things that he's been doing for a long, long time. Well, and I know that one of our other listeners uh, also kind of picked up on that same theme. Shall we listen to what Stuart had to say? Indeed. Over to you, Stuart. Hey guys, this is uh, Stu from London here, uh, first time contributor, but a long time listener to the podcast. Just wanted to um, send in some audio feedback to talk about uh, The Bells of St. John, uh, which I've just watched. I really enjoyed it. I don't know if it's one of those uh, episodes that we're going to look back at in years to come and really say, oh, that was a great episode, but for what it needed to do, and that's set the scene for the rest of the season, announced the return of Doctor Who to Saturday nights. It was pretty much perfect. The one thing that really came across to me was how confident everything appeared to be. Um, We had a Doctor and a companion in Matt Smith and Jenna Louise Coleman who clearly have chemistry. The repartee was great back and forward. And Stephen Moffat, you've got a head writer who's at the peak of his powers who's just absolutely confident in what he can do and what he needs to do uh, on this 50th anniversary year. The use of Wi-Fi was very much a Stephen Moffat kind of idea, as far as I can see. Um, Looking back at all the episodes he's written for the show, he often tries to find things that are in common sight, in plain sight, where people will see these things and will have a a connection then to, to Doctor Who such as statues, such as the dark even in uh, Silence in the Library, such as a crack in a wall, and now Wi-Fi. Stephen seems to be great at just taking these things um, that you wouldn't necessarily think as being scary and and making them really, really scary. Uh, And I like that. I want to make special mention of Jenna Louise Coleman. I know she's not a new addition to the TARDIS crew, but she kind of is. Um, But all of her episodes so far have been written by Stephen Moffat, and he's given her some fantastically blunt, witty things to say, and Jenna Louise Coleman has delivered them so well. She's got something really special there, and I think it's going to be interesting as the season goes on and other people write for that character... Uh, whether they give her that same kind of sparkling dialogue uh, as as Stephen Moffat does. Yeah, for the uh, Bells of St. John, I think good, very good episode. Uh, I'm looking forward to the rest of the 50th anniversary year. Thanks, guys. Keep up the good work on the podcast. Well, we love a first-time contributor, Stuart. Thank you very much for um, sending in your feedback. Keep it coming, mate. That was fantastic. You, you, you make mention there about... Um, this story having, uh, I suppose, a small repeat value, but being a great way for a series to return and make a big impact. And, and, and I would probably tend to agree with you. We're, we're finding, well, I'm certainly finding with a lot of these current Doctor Whos that, you know, they're big on spectacle, but I'm not really sure they're big on um, continuous repeats. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Uh, and, and another thing that Stuart mentioned was the character of Clara and how Stephen Moffat had written such sparkly dialogue and, and how well she and Matt Smith play off each other. And of course, now we've had a few more episodes. I was curious about your opinion, Trev. Do you think Clara has continued to be as uh, snappy and witty as, as when Moffat wrote her? I think she has, yes. But I think we've we've got the common denominator there that Stephen Moffat being the showrunner, he, he does oversee all these scripts. So I, I think his hand would still be in there somewhere in terms of injecting 
what do you call it, Clara-like dialogue or Clara-like mannerisms to keep that consistency across the season because they are trying to go for a, a reasonably consistent characterization. Um, you know, we, we saw with the next story, Rings of Akatan, how it, it starts to pull out her traits as a governess and as a nanny. They're trying to have that consistency across her whole characterization. And, and I think Stephen Moffat's hand is definitely in that somewhere. Our next bit of feedback is from Liat Orr from Israel. And I must say I'm absolutely thrilled we have a listener or listeners, one would presume, in Israel. It absolutely blows my mind when people from far-flung countries uh, write in or send in feedback to the Doctor Who podcast. So thank you, Liat Orr. Over to your feedback. Hello, Doctor Who podcast. My name is Liat Orr from Israel. I just received the episode The Bells of St. John, episode 6 from season 7. I know in the in the podcast that you talked about the book that was written by Amelia Williams. I think that you missed that uh, when Clara and the boy were talking about the book, that she asked him, what chapter are you on? He said 10th. And then she said, oh, chapter 11th is the best. I think that's a um, little hint of the 10th Doctor as David Tennant and the 11th Doctor as uh, Matt Smith. So that's my thoughts about it. She she mentions here about um, Clara's comment about chapter 11 being the best. I'm wondering whether that will be some sort of tie-in to the 50th anniversary special, especially that we know now that only the 10th and 11th Doctors will actually be filming specific scenes for it. That's a good connection, Trev. It, it's interesting that we've, we've had a couple listeners pick up on that idea about that 11th chapter, and I've noticed as we go forward in some into some of the other episodes this season that the number 11 keeps appearing. Yeah, yeah, true. And if this is an intentional thing, i.e. 10 and 11, like the chapters in the book, how far back has the production team known that we really wouldn't be getting any classic series Doctors, if that's the case? Or is this just a massive coincidence? Speaking of coincidence or pre-planned events, uh, Ranger 1138 has some theories about uh, how far back this might have gone. Shall we listen to that? We shall. Hey everyone, Ranger1138, a longtime listener of this very podcast, as I often say on Twitter, and first time recorder, giving feedback on something James had said way back at the beginning of Series 7B. There was a lot of conversation in that episode that you guys had on the retelling of the same story or tropes or kind of uh, patterns and things going over and over and over again. And while I kind of agree and understand that some writers have their favorites and they like to come back to it, Mr. Moffat being no different with eyes and teeth and things like that. And personally, I see a whole lot of things about dreams and sleeping with Clara. The idea that I keep coming back to is that some of these things like the jacket as we saw before in angels are on purpose and with that said i always keep coming back to silence in the library and forest of the dead because it seems like the entire blueprint for the moffat era begins and ends there for me i mean be it from the second that river comes out in the astronaut costume opens up the visor and says hello sweetie to the end of forest of the dead spoiler in which we have the conversation about time can be rewritten in no not one line which is then of course uh, retold from opposite perspectives on the wedding of river song now if that is true if all of this goes according to plan snapping your fingers and opening up the tardis doors it was all meant to be I wonder if Clara fits in there too. And the reason why I say that is listen to the line that is said to River when she is uploaded into Forest of the Dead. I think it's very important. Anyway, I might be reading too much into it. I don't know. Tom might be able to figure it out better than I. But 
seems to me like Claire is in there somewhere. Maybe it's Dr. Moon. I don't know. Anyway, love the show. Always a big fan. Ranger1138 saying goodbye. Yes, I, I think it's something that um, Ranger1138 has picked up that a lot of other people have picked up, that we are seeing a lot of common tropes across Series 7B and whether they're intentional or not. Now, whenever I see comments like this or people talking about things they're picking up from multiple episodes, I always go back to what the Eighth Doctor says in the uh, telly movie: Humans, always finding patterns and things hmm. that aren't there. And I've, I've got to wonder whether there's a little bit of that there. On the one hand, we've got Stephen Moffat, who has pulled the wool over our eyes rather successfully in the past. I remember the uh, jacket being there and then not being there, um, whether that was considered a mistake back then or whether it was actually intentional. And, of course, it was intentional. So are the things that the viewers are seeing in Series 7B intentional or are they just patterns to make us feel happier? Well, Ranger uh, specifically mentioned some content from Forest of the Dead, and I actually went back and rewatched the sequence that he was talking about. And, and you mentioned finding patterns that may or may not be there. I got to tell you, I couldn't quite locate what Ranger was talking about. I know that just before River was saved, if you will, by the Doctor, there was a lovely scene with, with the Doctor and Donna where they were contemplating looking at River's diary. And the doctor says to Donna, well, should we peek? And Donna finally concludes, you know, no, we shouldn't. It's spoilers. Uh, And shortly thereafter, the doctor gets the idea that he can save River. Then there's a nice monologue about how the doctor never gives up. And uh, in this case, everybody lives. But I couldn't quite find anything that I could link necessarily to Clara, unless it's the idea that Clara's story might be recorded in the diary if River uh, encounters Clara. So you might have to explain that one a little further to me, Ranger. Mm-hmm. Well, moving on to the next one, uh, we, we have some feedback from a young man by the name of Cormac. And, and it's great to hear that we're getting lots of young listeners sending in their feedback. Uh, thank you very much, Cormac. Over to you, mate. Hello, Doctor Who podcast. I was listening to your review of The Bells of St. John. It was the first of your podcast that I actually heard, and I thought it was really good. I think for the 50th anniversary special, Rose definitely should be back anyway. But I think they should bring back all of the Doctors. They should leave like small little hints like in the corner of the screen, you know, like Tom Baker's scarf or um, Colin Baker's little cap that he used to wear, like a little, his little cat brooch. I like watching the classic episodes, and maybe um, the umbrella with the kind of the question mark handle. Leaves those small little clues in the corners, like the old sonic screwdriver and all those sort of little things that look completely useless, but actually will build up to the 50th anniversary. I also think they should re-air the first ever story on an unearthly child. Well, that's kind of the foundation for the show. I think they should bring back all the Doctors, if they can, and since, you know, John Pertwee, Patrick Troughton and William Hartnell are dead. They might just get, like, look-like actors in or something like that. You know, one of my very favorite things about that piece of feedback, other than the fact that he sent it in after first listening to his first Doctor Who podcast episode, is just how easily those classic Doctor names roll off a 12-year-old's lips. I think that is just wonderful and gives me hope for the continuing future of the series. But, <laughs> but yeah, he, he had some interesting ideas for how to celebrate those past Doctors this year. Well, that's right. He... Uh... He talks about, um, you know, presumably his local channel re-airing some of the early stories like An Unearthly Child. And that's a great idea because they, they did a very similar thing when the 20th anniversary came around. They basically showed one story from each Doctor. 
And that's something very similar our pay TV channel over here, Foxtel, is doing at the moment on UK TV. They're actually going through all the doctors and showing one, sometimes two stories per Sunday afternoon for each doctor. And that's that's a wonderful way to celebrate it. We're doing something similar here with BBC America. I think it's more like once a month, but they are uh, showing stories from the classic era, which which I think is just wonderful. Perhaps we should move on in this season to... Oh, it, this is the episode that everybody agreed on, isn't it, Trev? The Rings of Akatan? <laughs> Unanimous praise. Yes, I think that was the one. I, I think you're referring to that um, one that no one can pronounce, The Rings of Akatan. <laughs> well, uh, just to demonstrate how divisive this was, the Doctor Who podcast listeners were very similar in reaction to general fandom, which means we have both ends of the spectrum. So why don't we start with Mark's opinion? Hello Doctor Who podcast, this is Mark with a quick review of The Rings of Akatan, which to me sounds like it should be an 80s pop band. Despite the poster proclaiming an Indiana Jones style vibe, this didn't come to pass, and it was wishy-washy sentimental pap. I liked the start of the episode, the leaf thing was well judged, and would have been better if they just left it there as a nice background story rather than using it as a callback later on. The standing on a rock in normal gravity whilst looking at many other floaty bits of rocks made my sciencey spidey sense tingle uncomfortably. The introduction to the Market Bazaar was very nice, it had a Star Wars cantina vibe. That said, I did want Clara to tell the Doctor off for all that rude pointing. It was a missed opportunity to bring her governess trait to the fore. Then the episode went astray. If I wanted to see nine-year-old girls singing without a parent end, I'd watch Britain's Got Talent. If I wanted Doctor Who the Musical, I'd contact the Udes, or possibly Joss Whedon. If I wanted interminable prepubescent singing, I'd come to the right place. The plot just fizzled. Credulity was stretched to breaking point with a planet-killing sun-sized monster who needs lullabies in order not to wake up cranky, and who can then be talked down through the vacuum of space. Again, my sciencey spidey sense was rebelling somewhat, not least because of the choice of down in many of the scenes. Clara, going home after every adventure, is she continuing the end of the ponds vibe that was established? No thanks. After last week's enjoyable start, this was a bit of a disappointment. But on the bright side, the only way is up, and next week's looks much better. Thank you, Mark. Always entertaining to hear your uh, thoughts, mate. Um, there's nothing like someone saying wishy-washy sentimental pap. Uh, that, I, think, I think that's a wonderfully evocative phrase, and it should be used more often. I think you should tell us how he really feels. <laughs> he, he makes the interesting comment there about why didn't Clara's governess's abilities come out. But I, I thought the scenes with Clara and the young girl, especially behind the TARDIS, when they were having that very deep discussion, you know, seemed, seemed very Govan and Nanny-like. I, I thought this episode was actually something that showed those abilities and traits to the fore, you know, probably more than other stories in this season so far. I would agree. We have two stories in a row, Counting Bells, where she interacts directly with young people. And I think it's extraordinary, the rapport that she has with children, which is sort of similar to the rapport Matt Smith has when he's performing with children. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Okay, in talking about how divisive this episode was, you've heard Mark's rather um, underwhelmed feedback. Let's hear what Patty had to think. Mm. Hello, Doctor Who podcast. This is Patty here in Bristol. This is regarding the Rings of Akatan, which I I gather has been quite divisive amongst fans. I, I personally, I think it is absolutely brilliant. I think the plot for a start 
is a very good sort of political uh, metaphor or allegory. It's you've, you've got a planet that's engulfed by a ritual, which which ultimately serves no purpose. Trying to hold back a beast that will ultimately rise anyway. But seeing the whole thing from the point of view of the outsider, uh, through the Doctor and Clara, and also through the eyes of the young girl who's brought up, indoctrinated by by that very set system. And you see, you know, that the ritual starts to go wrong, and the Doctor and Clara, as outsiders, feel bound to intervene where nobody else does. And and after the, the initial encounter, you see the, the innocent soul realising that they're not just bound by the decisions of their descendants, but they're also empowered by the knowledge that's shared. In this case, you know, knowing a secret song to open a door, which is pretty convenient, for, apart from anything else. Um... You've got a blend of the of the old and the modern. You've got the effects, which frankly suit both eras. I mean, you've got the beautiful spacescapes, the amazing sights all around, but at the same time, you've got an incredibly dodgy space moped uh, effect and, and the latex monster whose hand uh, keeps bending whenever he breaks the glass. Uh, some pretty clever cinematography to try and uh, balance both of those things and, and keep the camera away from the hand at all times. And the, the ultimate message again with the plot, the only thing that defeats the beast you've always been afraid of is knowledge, experience, emotion and faith. And that gives an excuse for one of the best Matt Smith speeches that I've ever seen in this series. And we also learn that music may or may not help the situation that you're in, but it's still fun to sing. Overall, absolutely fantastic. Well, talk about the other end of the spectrum there. Absolutely brilliant uh, is words he used there to describe Rings of Akatan. But he does understand, too, that, it, that it's a wonderful mix of new and old Doctor Who, especially as far as the special effects are concerned. He makes that wonderful comparison between the mopeds and the, you know, the latex monsters and the other wonderful effects in this story. Where I found the contrast, and, and I was glad that he picked up on it, um, Again, you have the extraordinary visuals uh, of the space scenes and the market scenes contrasted with that room where the, the vampire alarm clock was, which which called to mind for me uh, the room where Sutek was imprisoned in Pyramids of Mars with, oh, you know, okay. with, with the real simple doors and the real simple decor. And I thought, well, you know, you, you know where the money went in this episode and it wasn't on this particular set. But I liked <laughs> it. I, fa- I found it charming. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which, by the way, I uh, never had the chance to give my feedback on this episode and, and just... In summary, um, I liked it. I didn't dislike it. I didn't love it as much as some people do. But I really did like the opportunity to be immersed in this other culture. Actually, you, you mentioning immersion probably ties in very well with our next bit of feedback from Mark um, and where he talks about the, the music in Rings of Akatan. Hey, it's Mark here, the resident alien out in North Carolina, USA. And since I'm in North Carolina, I'll try and emulate my friend Chip and uh, limit things to the two minute format. I really love your reviews on the DWP of uh, Doctor Who episodes. I love the interaction between you. Always really stimulating. I did want to pick you up on one thing in the most recent review that, to, uh, that I've heard, which is the review of the Rings of Akaten. I was struck by the fact that in passing, Trevor talked about all that singing and neither Trevor nor James commented on the quality of the music. And in this, you're not alone. I've listened my way through all of the major dogs who podcast this week and not a single person comments on the beauty of the singing in this episode. The sheer poetic 
exquisite beauty of the music. Now, I know that we're kind of science fiction fans. I know that we're Doctor Who fans. And I know that we're not really experts on appreciating music. But I don't know about you, but sometimes when you're just sitting in front of something as beautiful as this, you don't want to be analysing it. You don't want to be thinking about the kind of logic of the whole thing. You just want to let the sheer beauty wash over you and for me I mean I've watched this episode now three times every time I've seen it I am moved to tears by how beautiful Murray Gold's melodies are here and I think that the young Amelia Jones who plays the who plays the the queen of years Mary what a beautiful voice what a wonderful acting performance and the way that the first time we get the song it ends in disaster and then the second time we get the song it's all part of helping the doctor and clara get through to produce that sort of glorious conclusion i'm surprised that nobody seems to think that this is wonderful I'm tempted to say facetiously that Doctor Who fans have no soul, but of course I know that's not true. And I just wanted to register that sometimes it's not a matter of logic, it's not a matter of seeking out plot holes, it's not a matter of saying this worked, that worked, I liked this, I didn't like that, this works in classic Who, this is new Who and so on. Sometimes it's just about saying this was exquisite, this was beautiful, this was lyrical, this was something marvellous. And I just just wanted to be at least one person saying that sometimes something like this is intangible, it's poetic, it's marvellous, and uh, it almost defies uh, analysis, but I loved it. Thank you so much for everything you do on the DWP. We absolutely love it. We probably don't say it often enough, but we do love it. This is Mark in North Carolina checking out. Thanks again. Bye-bye. All right. I need to start uh, commenting on on Mark's uh, feedback by first off giving a thank you to Mark. Mark posted some very nice complimentary comments on Facebook uh, on the Doctor Who podcast page not, not too many weeks ago. And Mark, they were noted and they were appreciated. So thanks. Mark, yes. You are welcome back anytime, mate. Anytime at all you want to send in feedback like that, which starts off with uh, phrases about how wonderful I am, you can come along anytime. <laughs> I was really excited to hear his comments about the music, though, and I, I think he has some very good points. For me, it's interesting because I thought the sound, the the, the tune and, and the glory of, of that scene was really wonderful, although if you actually go and look up the lyrics, I think the lyrics are pretty awful, which is weird. It's kind of a strange juxtaposition. I won't quote them for you, but you ought to look them up. On the other hand, I need you to tell you my nine-year-old son thinks that this is the best episode of Doctor Who ever. And the scene at the climax where everybody's singing and they're singing, wake up, wake up, he thinks is the best scene in Doctor Who ever. He just loves this. And he commented to me about how they were all working together. They all knew how to sing together, that it was a song of giving. Uh, And he also commented from his point of view that he thinks that they are seeing it as a funeral for their planet. Those are some of the things that were going through the head of a nine-year-old, but he is absolutely taken away by this particular episode. I can understand though where Mark is coming from, even though I don't totally agree with him. i truly believe that he was immersed in the music but for me it it didn't do a a huge amount for me compared to what we've had since Doctor Who's come back in 2005. We've been treated to some wonderful um, choral orchestral pieces that have been used in Doctor Who you know as as background music or as an integral part of the episode and 
for me, the stuff in Rings of Akatan, while it was still of that high quality, um, was very similar to what we've heard before in terms of the big emotional build-up that we're used to in New Doctor Who, that that we have these very rising bits of music in the background behind all these emotional speeches that the uh, uh, various cast members make. So are you then proving Mark's theory that you have no soul? Quite possibly, but I, I, I would <laughs> never dare I would never dare speak for the whole Doctor Who community. I, I, I speak merely as a singular observer. Okay, okay, we always suspected, but uh, yeah. <laughs> well... We have a couple of really fun contributions of feedback for this episode, don't we, Trev? That's right. If you remember listening to the Rings of Akatan review we did a few episodes back, um, I put out the call, probably the quite uh, misguided call to our listeners, to send in feedback that had creative uses of the word Akatan. Now, we've received two bits of feedback, which we'll just play back to back here, um, which have some very interesting uses of that particular word, and uh, after that we're going to choose one of those two to win a fantastic prize from the DWP camper van, China Hutch. So over to Brad and then Brent. Hey guys, this is Brad Harris of the Movie Bears podcast. Just wanted to say how much I enjoyed The Rings of Akatan. It wasn't a perfect episode, but there were several things I found acatantalizing about it. I loved the notion of this gas giant god waking up and throwing an acatantrum, only to be defeated by the Doctor, Clara, and the Queen of Years all working an acatandem. While the singing didn't work for many people, I felt like it combined with the Doctor and Clara's efforts into this almost acatangible power that believably saved the day. I also enjoyed seeing the Doctor and Clara continuing to gel together. While it isn't yet acatanamount to the Doctor's chemistry with Amy Pond, I feel like there's a lot of potential there. I also liked the Akatangen backstory reveal early on, with the Doctor investigating this version of Clara's personal history. It's quite interesting how Akatangled he's becoming with Clara's lives, and I'm greatly anticipating the reveal of her true nature down the road. In the meantime, I hope we'll continue to see more of the Doctor and Clara Akatangoing around, saving the universe, and becoming close friends in the process. Great episode, and guys, I loved your review of The Rings of Akatan. Keep up the great work. Akatan, Akatan, Shaka Khan, Akatan. Hey, everybody, this is Brent Johnson here. I just wanted to. Uh, Akatan! Oh, God. Uh, I just want to tell you what I thought about The Rings of Akatan. Uh, it was a really. Uh, Akatan! Oh, Jesus. It was, it was a uh, pretty good story, I thought, uh, written by Neil Cross, because I'm a huge Luther fan. Akatan! <laughs> oh, oh, man. Um, I watched Luther because of Paul McGann and, and uh, loved the stories. And when I found out Neil... Akatan! Neil Cross was going to write this episode. I was really excited and... Although it was full of magic and crazy emotional things, uh, well, I just, I still got caught up in it. it. It tricked me this time. I shouldn't have liked it, but I did. But I, I, I just wanted to um, just uh, send you a little audio feedback and let you know what I thought of the rings of well, thank you, Brad. That was Aka terrific and Aka tremendous, <laughs> uh, just wonderful. And Brent, 
Uh, I think you need to see somebody about that condition. And I'm so glad. Mm. I'm so glad that we get audio feedback that doesn't come in envelopes with germs. <laughs> Must be difficult having such a sneezing fit while you're driving, too. My goodness, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately, there can be only one. There can be only one winner. And and I'm going to give my award for this episode to the most creative use of the word Akatan to Brad at the Movie Bears podcast. Well done, mate. I'll be uh, getting in touch with you so I can send out a little prize to you. Uh, from the DWP camper van China Hutch over to you mate thank you very much but and thank you Brent for sending in your incredibly innovative uh, sneezing fit to the uh, Doctor Who podcast <laughs> well well for honorable mention to Brent I have to admit that uh, my son was listening to me listen to that feedback and he made me play it again he was in fits of giggles listening to uh, the sneezing Akatan but uh, at any rate <laughs> thank you for that I'm sure we'll be listening to it more times <laughs> Are we all Akatanned out now? Let's move on to the next uh, bit of feedback for the next episode in this season. And we've got a bit of feedback from Martin, who has a bit to say about Cold War. Hi there, lads. It's Martin Thompson from Geek Planet Online here again. Um, right, well, I've just seen The Cold War, the long-awaited return of the Ice Warriors, and I have to say I absolutely love this one. Uh, I've been waiting for the Ice Warriors to return back for a, for a while now. Uh, but, um, yeah, this was really good. This was kind of like Mark Gatiss's Dalek uh, kind of episode, I think. I mean, I think the spaceship at the end was a bit much, and uh, sort of, and the Ice Warriors' sort of last reveal of his, of his face. I think it should have been kept in the shadows. But for the for the most part, yeah, I mean, I think there's some good little additions to the mythology there. Nice tense episode. Um, so far, I have been liking Series 7. Uh, the Bells of St. John, I thought, was a very good opening episode, sort of very functional functional opening episode, something like Russell T. Davis would have uh, would have written, I think. And I know Moffat wants to make, make Doctor Who relevant uh, for the time again. And, you know, this was perfect, you know, a, a suitable modern threat, you know, the Wi-Fi... And the Spoonheads, um, and yeah, reintroducing Clara again. It was very good. The second episode, uh, I can't. It's I saw it again this morning, and it's hard to know what to say about that one. Really, I mean, very very totemosh. I think, as, as the young people say these days. Yeah, I knew that the most important leaf in the universe would go for a Burton at some point. That'd have some kind of key to it. Uh, but it was, all, it was all very well done, all very well good. I'd also like to leave you now quickly with a... Cookie theory. Of the week. I know the baddies, uh, I think probably episode six, which is probably going to take us to the fields of Trenzalore. Uh, they're called the Whisper Men. I don't know if anyone saw the wonderful wraparound cover of the Radio Times. Um, but I reckon uh, the, the Whispermen, actually, who uh, they look a lot like the Trickster from the Sarah Jane adventures. Um, but I reckon one they're going to be the voice um, that we heard in the TARDIS when it exploded. The voice that just hisses across the silence will fall. I reckon it'll turn out like that. Okay, uh, so I think I'm up for me two minutes now. So thank you, everyone, and goodbye. Thank you, Martin. And you mentioned that uh, perhaps they showed a little too much of the Ice Warrior out of its shell. And I, I have to agree, while, while most of fandom seems to really like the idea that these critters can, can get out of their shell and be more mobile, and I understand the reason for doing it, I am just one of those old-fashioned fuddy-duddies who 
kind of like the Ice Warriors <laughs> the way they are. You know, they talk about how a slow-moving creature wouldn't be uh, scary, and yet if you're trapped in a sub with a large, hulking, slow-moving creature that you can't get away from, I would think that there yep. is it, that's inherently yep. scary. Exactly. Um, so I, I'm not real fond of... of the creature outside skin. The doctor mentioned in the episode that for an ice warrior to leave its shell was a huge dishonor, and I, I just have a hard time reconciling that this ice warrior, you know, leader would reduce himself to that. Plus, it, it was so obviously, you know, computer generated, and, and that bothers me too. And last on my rant, um, I, <laughs> I I couldn't help thinking of Gollum, and I'm sorry, but the connotations that go with Gollum are just not the connotations that should be going with a noble ice warrior. So, um, yeah, I'm sorry, and I apologize, but I'm so glad that so many people loved them and enjoyed them, and, and uh, mm. I, I don't want to take anything away from them. Obviously, they got it right, because the overwhelming response, I think, has been quite positive. So, oh, uh, well, I'm just a killjoy. But I do like his kooky theory, though. I think any chance to fit in a mention of the TARDIS exploding at least once per Doctor Who podcast is a good thing. So, Martin, I love your kooky theory, mate. One other comment I wanted to make on this episode is that uh, as much as my nine-year-old loved Rings of Akatan, he was totally unimpressed with Cold War. Um, he was disappointed that there was only one monster, for one thing, but he was even more disappointed that the Doctor did very little to... Uh, resolve the plot to, to find a solution or, or foil the monster in any way. And, and really, the Doctor just kind of wanders around until Clara can sort of convince the Ice Warrior not to blow everything up. So again, interesting perspective from a nine-year-old. Yes, I, I, I always find it fascinating how, how people can get such diametrically different ideas from, you know, the same 45 minutes of television. I love it, but it, it astounds me, always. <laughs> So moving right along to our, our last batch of feedback on the episode Hyde, over to uh, Mr. Unnamed Contributor, who has a bit to say about it. First of all, regarding Doctor Who's runtime, Doctor Who's runtime at the moment is awful. 45 minutes for one complete story uh, in this movie-type season where Stephen Moffat has said that he wants to uh, make episodes that are kind of compact into one story in one 45-minute episode. Now, I personally think that's an awful idea, and uh, this really shows in uh, the episode Hide. We have a, a good setup we, uh, in the story. We then have lots of talkative scenes in it, uh, like between General Louise Coleman and the psychic, uh, and we have uh, the Doctor speaking to the other Doctor. So we have lots of talkative scenes where they discuss things. Suddenly we get this plot in the uh, the last part of the episode. We have this sudden plot that jumps out of nowhere where it's like, oh, time travelers, pocket universes, and then there's all sorts of references. It's, it's a big mess is what Hyde is, in my opinion. Uh, especially the last five minutes where we have the revelation that uh, this time traveler is related to the psychic. We have uh, suddenly there was a creature in the house the entire episode that appeared to be doing nothing but making loud noises. I found there were so many questions that needed to be answered, especially when it's uh, kind of its own story. It's not going to be expanded upon in any future episodes. It's uh, It really didn't feel finished. Uh, we get all these unanswered questions, like, what was the creature? Why was it trying to scare the Doctor? Um, what was it doing in the Pocket Universe? What was the other one doing on Earth? Uh, why couldn't Matt Smith say Metabelius 3 right? But getting back onto the topic today, I really, really think uh, we should 
do away with one-part 45-minute episodes because they're frankly awful. Stephen, you're only given 45-minute episodes. You can't make that feel like it's a movie. You can't have these massive plots that can be expanded upon. Uh, you need character development and a whole matter of other things. You can't do that in 45 minutes, otherwise it feels very rushed, and that's how stories like especially The Power of Three and Hyde have come across. And I think every single episode since 2005 has been rushed in some aspect. I think every single episode could have been expanded upon, more story could have been put in there, or more character development. First off the bat, like I said before, it's always interesting how people get different impressions from the same 45 minutes of television. We had that previous comment uh, which said that Moffat crams so much into 45 minutes and it's fantastic, but now we have this gentleman saying that the stories are too short, that Moffat's ambition to pack movie-length ideas into the short running time is a flawed idea. It's, it's interesting how we can have two ends of the spectrum. Did you think it ran too long or too short or just about right? Uh, Hyde? Well, I, I wasn't a big fan of it to start with, so maybe I would probably err on it ran too long because I don't mm. think there are enough ideas in there for a 45-minute episode. But that's not the impression I got after I watched it. I, I just didn't like it a huge amount. The length of the episode was neither here nor there for me, I suppose. Yeah, well, as with many of the stories this season... I found that I liked it, but I neither loved it nor hated it, and this one fell right in there. I usually, mm. when it comes to running time, I rarely find myself thinking, "Oh, something was too short or something was too long." Um, I guess I just sort of take the stories as they come and evaluate them as they are. But uh, inter interesting the way that different fans can have completely opposite perspectives on the same story. Mm. He makes mention in there about uh, Matt Smith being unable to pronounce the word metabilis. I, I'm going to ask you, Michelle, like I've asked the others, do you think that was an intentional mispronunciation or um, they just didn't know how to say it properly? Oh, you're going to get me on another rant. And I know <laughs> you're going to make me say this and then everybody's going to think I'm just a nitpicky fan. <laughs> um, you know, I hope it was intentional. I actually had not considered that possibility. If it was unintentional, then it does disappoint me. And, and I know that, again, folks will think I'm a nitpicker. But look, it's if you see that word on a script, it's clearly a word that could have multiple pronunciations. And how much time does it take to go back and pop in a DVD real quick just mm. to double check uh, how to pronounce it? That seems like the simplest of of checks when you're trying to celebrate the history of the show. So you presented me another option that maybe it was intentional. Well, I'm I'm really hoping it's intentional because surely Stephen Moffat is at the read-through when they're all sitting around the big table reading the script for the first time. And if Matt Smith goes, Metabolus, Moffat puts his hand up and goes, uh, mate, it's actually Metabolus. Surely that would have been picked up from the first read-through. Well, there was a story that Nick Briggs told at one of the conventions uh, that I was at, might have been uh, Chicago, uh, about trying to coach Matt on how to say Spyridon back in um, Asylum of the Daleks, you know, when they're going through and seeing... Oh, you mean Spyridon? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and actually, now, now that I mention it, I can't remember now if it was Matt or if it was... Um, it might have been Clara, the, the Dalek Clara. But at any rate, um, where Matt had coached him on the correct way, the way it had been said, let, let's say that, back in Planet of the Daleks, and then Planet of the Daleks. <laughs> 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 and then, uh, and then, when the performance actually happened, it came out wrong. And so, there, I, I, I agree with you that I can't see Moffat sitting in a read-through without correcting that. But on the day, Moffat may not be the one who's right there in the studio for the filming of it. And so, uh, 
Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, ma- I imagine yeah. maybe you could do additional dialogue recording after the fact to get it right. So I, maybe you're mm. right. Maybe it's intentional. And, I, and we've probably spent way too much time talking about it. <laughs> probably. So let's move swiftly on to, I, I think, um, one of our last bits of feedback for this episode from Amy. Hey, guys. It's Amy here from Oxford, Mississippi. I'm such a huge fan of the podcast. I thought I would finally take the time and share some of my thoughts with you. I just have a couple observations, really. The first is that this latest episode makes the second time that we've heard Clara reference herself in terms of being a ghost, which I think is interesting. Obviously, most recently, when the doctor has shown her the whole lifespan of the earth, she says, oh, we're just, we're all ghosts to you. But the first time was at the end of the Rings of Akaten, when the doctor returned her to the present day, and he says, oh, you remind me of somebody. And she says, you know, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not this person. I'm not going to be the ghost of this person traveling with you. So for what it's worth, I just think that's interesting to note. The second thing I wanted to say was that I think James was right on the money in your review of Hyde when he suggested that the doctor is still grappling with the loss of Amy and Rory. I definitely think that's true, and I don't think we've seen the end of that story arc. Um, The doctor's still wearing Amy's glasses, which is sweet and really kind of sad. And um, also, we still had that moment with the book and the Bells of St. John. Clara has this book, Summer Falls, uh, written by Amelia Williams. And when she hands it over to the little boy, she says, oh, you know, what chapter are you on? Chapter 10. She says, well, wait till you get to chapter 11. It'll make you cry your eyes out. And so I think that 11, you know, might be a reference to our 11th doctor. So I'm interested to see if that storyline gets picked up again. Anyway, just a couple thoughts. Thanks for your time. Uh, Keep up the good work. Well, thank you, Amy. I particularly wanted to pick up on the idea of how Clara refers to herself as a ghost. I hadn't caught on to that the first time that you mentioned, but it you know, it's certainly an interesting conversation here in Hyde. I was disappointed by the doctor's response to that conversation. I know there are those that that say, as you do, that, you know, he's maybe he's still dealing with the loss of, of the pawns. But when, when Clara asks him, what can we possibly be to you? The answer that I wanted him to give was either, you're my friends, and to mean it sincerely, or to do one of those wonderful doctor speeches about how wonderful humanity is and about, you know, the noble things that humanity does and the everyday things that humanity does that he'll never quite be able to to share. Uh, I love both those aspects of the doctor. But to answer, you know, you're, you're the only puzzle worth solving left me a little flat. That's certainly not the answer I would want if I had just asked him that question. So interesting way the doctor is developing here an interesting way the clara's relationship with the doctor is developing i mean there was also that comment in the episode where emma the psychic was was telling clara don't trust this guy he's got he's got ice in his heart i i would tend to agree with you michelle it 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 was a uh i suppose very bizarre answer to what i thought was a reasonably straightforward question um so but but maybe that bodes more for the future in future episodes than it does for that particular moment. I I suppose, as James always says, we'll wait and see. Our last bit of feedback, it's from our good mate, UK Trev. Over to you, Trev. Hello, Doctor Who podcast. It's UK Trev here. It's great to have you guys reviewing new live Who again. Although I, I love the geek outs, where Trev rails against any mention of sex. Perhaps he believes that the 12-inch figures were anatomically accurate for Gallifreyans. I do worry about Trev's attitude to sex. In episode 201, for example, he says, A bang is just a bang. Oh dear. Anyway, the series is just wonderful. Uh, My son and I are loving it. 
I find myself thoroughly disagreeing with you Japs more often than not, though. I think it's in the nature of many classic Who fans to want the show to be more like what it was, rather than enjoy the show we have. If they ever made a Trev talking action figure, when you pull the string it would say, that is not Doctor Who. And of course, if it's not ringing your cloister bell right now, there's another writer next week with a different take. I find the show is far less cookie-cutter under Stephen Moffat. I wonder if he rewrites less than Rusty used to. I prefer it. As for the arc, I think the TARDIS is just being defensive in its dislike of Clara. She might be a threat or a weapon of some kind. The Silence have used this tactic before. And why does everybody assume the woman in the shop from episode 1 is River? If she gets another mention, maybe she is Madame Kovarian, a younger version perhaps, bringing out the hidden Doctor for the fall of the Eleventh, as promised in the finale. The thing that makes multiple Claras is clearly in her future, as Hyde told us. Mind you, maybe it's the Eleventh Clara that falls, for all we know. I'm glad Clara, or a Clara, makes it through to the 50th. I'm loving the characters, I'm loving the show, and I'm loving the podcast. Keep it up, everybody. Michelle, could you just pull the string at the back of my uh, neck just there, please? Oh, sure. Here, I'll do it right now. Thank you for your feedback, UK Trev. It's always lovely to hear from you. <laughs> Is that it? Well, the string's run out. I can't say any more. Okay, that's probably just as well. <laughs> well, as we've reached the end of my string, so too have we reached the end of another Doctor Who podcast, our, our feedback special for the first part of 7B. Michelle, thank you very much for your company. Thank you for helping me sift through the uh, mountains of MP3s and WAV files and all sorts of sound audio files that our wonderful listeners have sent in. It, it's been really interesting to hear them, and please keep them coming. Oh, that's been a pleasure. I loved it to hear the comments from the listeners, and what a wonderful opportunity to have conversation back and forth. Indeed, indeed. Well, our next episode of the DWP will be our Crimson Horror review so keep an eye out for that on your feeds in the next few days so until then and our next feedback episode together bye bye michelle bye bye trev and bye bye listeners bye bye all see you next time bye bye that was the doctor who podcast which you can find at the doctor who podcast.com if you have any feedback please send it into feedback at the doctor who podcast.com you can also find us on twitter Facebook and via the Doctor Who podcast forums. Thank you for listening. Take care.